crooked genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zedrah by Tamar, Tamar. and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadad, and Abinadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, doesn't that text just bless your soul this morning? <laughs> Some of you are probably thinking, what? I think he got the wrong text this morning. And maybe, maybe you thought, well, I, you know, I, I caught my mistake, and now I'm going to bring you the right text. And the right text will be Proverbs chapter 31. That's not it at all, and I really felt like the Lord led me this direction on purpose. There's a lot of a lot of places today on a Mother's Day, a sermon would come from Proverbs chapter 31, and Proverbs chapter 31 is appropriate text for Mother's Day. And actually, if you look in your title in that that section, the very last section of Proverbs chapter 31, my Bible says the virtuous wife. And so, let me read you a little bit of the Proverbs chapter 31 woman. Okay. Starting with chapter, chapter 31, verse 10. Um, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plans the day's work for her servant girls. And then skipping down to verse 22, it says, She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs with fear, without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions of kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her, and her husband praises her. How many women want that verse 28? Her, her children stand and bless her, and her husband praises her. Come on now. Let's go. Now, that, that is a Proverbs chapter 31 wife. That's the ideal woman right there, right? And that sets a pretty high bar. There's, there's been so much written on Proverbs chapter 31. Let me read you a couple things some people wrote. One, one author said, The ideal woman was described 2,500 years ago in Proverbs chapter 31, and she is still intimidating her sisters everywhere since. Uh, one writer said this, This is Wonder Woman. Gets up before dawn and stays busy until early hours of the next morning. We have developed a mental image of this Proverbs 31 woman. And this is what she looks like. She has a look of a movie star, the domestic abilities of a master chef, the stamina of a world-class athlete, the intellect of a professor with a PhD, the tenacity of a political over, over, over operator, uh, the wisdom of a godly missionary, the sensitivity of Mother Teresa, Teresa the busy business sense of a Fortune 500 executive, the grace 
of an eloquent expert, the spirituality of Virgin Mary. Wow, right? And then he clues by this. It says, no wonder so many mothers leave church feeling down on Mother's Day. I mean, who could live up to a Proverbs chapter 31 woman? I mean, come on. How many of you wake up before your husband and fix him breakfast? If you do, don't raise your hand. You're liable to get stoned this morning. I mean, that's why frozen waffles are invented, right? I mean, that's why you get the frozen little sausage biscuits, so you don't have to wake up and fix breakfast, right? You sleep in, he gets up, he goes to work, right? I'm sorry, that's not politically correct today, but, you know, I'm not sexist. I'm just saying, this is what, this is the ideal. Proverbs 31 shows us this ideal of this, this, this woman that I don't think nobody can live up to the standards. I mean, the bar is set so high. And so that, that, that's why you start asking this question. So what about all the mothers out there who don't quite measure up to Proverbs 31 woman? You know, is, is there hope? Can God use me? And again, this is not just for moms. This is a Mother's Day message. It's for the ladies, but it's also for you guys. Like there's a standard out there, and we try to measure up, but what happens when we can't live up to that standard? Now, where are you at then? Are you a failure? What, I mean, what, what happens life? Can God even use me at that point is what we're left with. Is there any hope? Can God take me, all my flaws, my sin, my sometimes lack of faith, my past, my pain, and can he take all that and can he still use me? Right? And we find our answer in our text today because if you remember our text in Matthew chapter 1, remember this is a genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is the family tree of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's so unbelievable that, that you guys know this. I mean, you all have the crazy uncle in your family or the crazy aunt that when you're making your family tree out, you just like to break that branch off. And you look how pretty this is, right? You want to do some pruning, right? I mean, that would be me if I'm right in Matthew chapter, 30, chapter 1. If I'm right in Matthew chapter 1, I'm not putting some of these ladies in it. And even in Bible times, they normally didn't put any ladies in it. But yet they chose these four ladies, right? Tamar, all these ladies are mothers. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, which is the way I put that, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. All four of these ladies, you, you look at their stories and you gotta, you got to question things a little bit. So let's walk through these ladies real quick. Tamar, you can find her story in Genesis chapter 38. And if you go to Genesis 38 and read her story, it's like worse than any soap opera you can ever imagine. Like, it's the filthiest of the filthy, and that's the Tamar story, basically, right? And so just to give you a snapshot, because I can't even read some of her story out loud, but to give a snapshot of what's going on in her life is she marries one of Jacob's sons, Ur, right? Happily married, great family, comes from a great family, you know, she's got it made. Ur dies, they have no kids. Well, custom in that day is when you had no kids, and if you had brothers, you would go to the next brother. The spouse would go to the next brother, and they would have a child, and that child would basically represent that, that brother. It'd be his son, basically. They call him his son, right? It'd be Ur's son if they had a baby, right? And so that, that was tradition. And so they did that. They passed it to the next son. Well, guess what happens next son? He dies. 
And so now, like the third son is shaking in his boots, right? He's like, this is like the black widow, the kiss of death right here. I'm not, you know, I don't want nothing to do with this. And Jacob does not want his son marrying her either. He's like, it's, the odds are not good for him, right? And so Jacob starts dragging his feet and doesn't want, any, doesn't want nothing to do with her. So he's kind of ignoring this situation. And so at this time, Tamar, she kind of gets uh, impatient. She gets desperate, right? And so she knew that her father-in-law liked the ladies, especially the ladies of the night, if you know what I'm saying. And so, um, so she dresses up as a prostitute, waits by the city gate, and her father-in-law, this is bad, her father-in-law's coming through town, right? And her father-in-law, they make, you know, they, he, she catches her father-in-law's attention. He hires her. One thing leads to another. Boom, Tamar's pregnant. I mean, it's this unbelievable story. You can't make it up. And so she bears a son. And if one thing could describe Tamar's story, it was desperate. Because think about it in your own life, because often our desperation causes us to make bad decisions, doesn't it? Your desperation in the heat of the moment, you make a choice, and then you got to live with that choice. This is the story of Tamar. Look at the next lady represented there, Rahab. You know, we find her story in Joshua chapter 2, and some of you know her story. It's in Rahab's house that's used by the spies who scout out the land before entering into Israel, right? Now, they, Tamar, she was a one-time prostitute, right? She did it just to get pregnant. And, but, but Rahab... She was full-time, and that's actually how she's described in the Bible. And that's how the Bible often uh, put your name with your profession, like Matthew, the tax collector, right? Rahab, the prostitute, and that's how she's described in Scripture. And, and Joshua doesn't tell us that she has any children, but if you read that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, we learn that she did. She gave birth to Boaz, and we know Boaz married Ruth, right? And so you fall on the family tree here. Now, Rahab... Tamar represented desperation. Tamar represents your past. How even reformation and repentance, someone or something's always going to be around to remind you of your past. To remind you, oh, remember you did this? Oh, remember those choices? Remember you, you yeah, you did that, right? That's what Tamar or, or, or Rahab reminds us of. Now, Ruth. So Ruth's a little bit more popular, right? They, anyway, I mean, there's a book named after her, right? But Ruth's story is a story of tragedy. If you remember her story, uh, the family moves, and there's a famine in the land. And so during the famine, the husband dies, the father-in-law dies, the brother-in-law dies. And so mom's left with two daughter-in-laws. She's like, go back to your homeland, to your own family. I'm going back to my land. Remember, Ruth said, nope. I'm going with you, right? And you want to talk about being from the worst than the wrong side of the tracks? That was Ruth, right? Because Ruth was a Moabite. And Moabite, the, the Moabites were started from a line that started with incest. And so from there it's a downhill. Because after that, there's, they're, they're, they're pagans. They worship all the gods. They believe in sacrifice, human sacrifice. They were just ungodly people. They were unclean people. And so everybody, everybody said, well, you're a Moabite? And then, well, then you know, right? That's like saying, you know, oh, you're from Texas? Oh, yeah, then you know, right? I mean, that's just, 
Had to get one in for Chase there. But, I mean, it's that bad, right? And so that's why, that's why she was referred to. And so, like the Moabites, you know, some people just can't shake the roots. And she was known as a Moabite. And then you get to Bathsheba, right? And we're probably most familiar with Bathsheba's story because she's known for her sin with David. And actually, it's, it's, it's her story is really David's story. But if you think about it, it takes two people to commit adultery, doesn't it? And so there you have it. And so here you see Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, starts pinning the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, you know their stories. I just told you what they come from. Why would you write that into the genealogy of the Messiah? I mean, think about it. When, when writers, after the original manuscripts were written, when, when scholars would write the words, when they'd get to God's name, they would actually have to change clothes, take a bath, burn their old clothes, get a new ink, get a new pen just to write the name. Then they'd go do this whole same process so they can start writing the rest of it. Every time they came to his name, they'd have to... I mean, this is how sacred this thing is. And for them to pin in, one, they don't even have to be there. Women were never in genealogies back then. So why represent, why put that there? I think it's a clear message for you and I today. It's a clear message that, yeah, there's the Proverbs 31 woman, and then there's everybody else, let's be honest. And sometimes we try to live to the standard, and we fail, and when we fail, we, we like spiral out of control. And so I want to give some spiritual truths for us this morning. I won't keep you long, but there's three spiritual truths I want to remind you of this morning. And you're going to hear these, you're like, oh, this is so basic, Pastor. Okay, then do it, Right? Like, just do it. You know, it's like when you call the tech guy, you got problems. What's the first thing he tells you to do? Can you turn the machine off and turn it back on? Like, this is where we're at, right? And so do this. Just do it, right? Don't shake your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, okay? So the first spiritual principle, stop comparing yourselves to others. Can I say it again? Stop comparing yourselves to others. Every one of you on Facebook right now. Come on, I see you out there with your phones. I'm reading the Bible, Pastor Baloney. You know? Stop comparing. Every time you open that social media, that's all it's there for. And so you can compare yourself to others. Oh, look, so-and-so got a new car. Oh, look, so-and-so got a new house. Oh, look, so-and-so's got a basement. That is not a good thing. Let me just tell you that right now. You think it's a good thing until you got a basement, right? <laughs> but here, here's the problem with comparing yourself to others. When you compare yourselves with those whom you would consider to be better, what's the result? Covetous. Envy, right? If you consider them to be better than you, then, then it's like, oh, man. They just got this. They just got this. Oh, they got the perfect family, don't they? Oh, their kid just got this. Oh, oh. And it results in these, all these feelings rising up inside of you. Man, I'm a loser. Man, I should be here by then. Man, I should be doing this by then. Oh, I should have this by then. Oh, I should do. And it stirs up these emotions of that covetous and that envy. And then the reverse is, is the same. Those who you look at and you think, oh, I'm better than that person, right? 
Oh, I've got a house. They've got an apartment. Look, I'm better. And then that, that, that pride rises up in us, doesn't it? And so either way you cut it, when you compare yourself to others, it always results in the same thing, usually us sinning. And so that's why today we, we cannot live by the standard the world sets, because the world sets this standard, and we're trying to live up to the standard, I've got to have this, this, and this by this age, or else I'm a loser. But God's saying, listen, just, just love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and love your neighbor. Then I'm going to see you in glory. I mean, come on. Imagine that Facebook post, you in glory with Jesus in the background. So either way, it leads, the comparison game leads us to sin. So stop comparing yourself to others. I don't care how old you are, you still do it. Stop. Stop comparing yourself to others. Secondly, stop allowing your past to control your future. Stop allowing your past. Don't let your past paralyze you. Look at it. If you confess your sin, if you claim God's forgiveness and righteousness to cover your sin, then live in that freedom. Live in that freedom. So, so and so got up and made their husband breakfast in bed. Who cares? You got frozen waffles in the fridge. Come on. <laughs> My son doesn't even like to warm them up. I mean, it's perfect. You just throw them down like it just hits them. I mean, he just takes it and goes. I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> Best son ever, right? Don't you have to microwave it. Just throw waffles at him. I mean, come on. It doesn't matter. And so stop, stop living that game and stop living like, well, I'm not this, I'm not that. Who cares? Oh, I did this in my past. Who cares? Yeah, that makes for the best story ever because you did this and now you're this. You did this. That was a key word there. You did this and now you're this. Stop living. The, and there's always going to be somebody in your life that reminds me who you was, Right? Or there's something permanent in your life that reminds you of the mistake you made. And every time the enemy comes at you, that's the enemy's favorite trick. It reminds you what you used to do, who you used to be. Oh, you made that choice. Oh, you're just a screw-up. Oh, you Guess what? That's when you stand and proudly say, yeah, I did those things, but God. Come on. But God, who's rich in his mercy and love. Come on. That's why we don't play this game. We don't allow our past to control our future because we all have hurts, we all have habits, we all have hang-ups, and so we don't let Satan use those things against us. Just to give you proof of the great, God's grace, we have the greatest example ever, Jesus' genealogy. What was Jesus about? He was all about grace. He was all about love. What is his genealogy? What do you find in his genealogy? A story of grace. <laughs> Come on, that should fire you up right there. Because you look at the story of Tamar, you look at the story of Rahab, you look at the story of Ruth, you look at the story of Bathsheba. That's a story of grace in his genealogy. Come on, that's hope for you and I. That's not who we were. We were that, but now we're this. Don't live in your past. Because the one who died to provide us a grace... He's already done it. He's experienced it. So he's shared his grace with us. Thirdly, and I'm going to stop with this. I'm going to ask Riley if she can come back up. Stop being, start, start being the person God called you to be. 
Start being who God called you to be. God's grace did not give us a license to continue our sin. Rahab's story is a great example of this. You know, when, you're, when confronted with the truth about the one true God, Rahab proudly announced this. She said, for your God is God in heaven above and earth and below. And she changed her lifestyle. She recognized who God was and she stepped into what God wanted her to be. Think about the one person who could have definitely been defined by her past. Could have been hung up on what she used to be, what she used to do. But instead, she decided to step into what start living the way God wanted her to live, right? This has seemed to be the journey of her, her, the beginning of her faith journey. Hebrews 11 talks about Rahab. Hebrews 11, which is known as like the book of heroes. Like that's a chapter you go to get excited, right? Look how Hebrews 11 puts it. I love this. By faith, Rahab. Again, you could have stopped right there, right? By faith, Rahab did not perish with those. No. Like even purposely, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute. I'm like, come on. Talk about someone who's able to stand and say, that's who I was, and this is who I am. She started living how God wanted her to be. This was her faith. James even mentions Rahab in James 2.25, talking about how the connection of faith and works happens. So you're in here to say, maybe you're not the Proverbs 31 mom. Maybe you don't wake up before everybody else. Maybe you don't have the, every meal for the month planned out. Maybe you don't have, you're not spending all Saturday like prepping meals for the week. Maybe you don't know the new math. Who cares? Do you love God? Do you love people? Stop comparing yourself. Stop putting yourself on a scale and say, well, I'm a pretty good mom, I did this. I'm a pretty good mom, I did this. But so-and-so made their kids close. Come on. Really? You know, some of you had a big birthday this year. Scroll on Facebook, man, I got wrinkles. Starting to get the ear hairs. I mean, come on. And you look at somebody else and say, man, they don't have a wrinkle on their face. Who cares? Do you love God? Do you love people? Stop comparing yourself. Stop allowing your past to control your future. God has a calling for every one of you in this place this morning. If you're breathing, you got breath in your lungs, God has a call in your life. Some of you are allowing your past to stop you from volunteering, to stop you from serving. Maybe God's laid something in your heart. You're like, no, I can't do that because of this. And all that is is attacking the enemy, saying, remember who you were. Keep you looking at your past, not looking at your future. Stop allowing your past dictate your future. Step into what God has for you. Start. Start being the person God has called you to be. Make a big commitment today. Who has God called you to be? What has he called you to do? Love God. Love people. Tell your story. It really is that simple. So it's okay if you're not the Proverbs 31 mom. 
it's not it's okay if you're not the perfect dad his grace is where I hang my hat grace has got me would you stand with us this morning Think about this. One last thought as I, when I'm going to dismiss. God created you on purpose and for a reason. He doesn't make mistakes. So you think, well, I'm not talented enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. You're exactly who God wanted you to be. You're exactly who God wanted you to be. And God has gifted you and gave you talents to be used for his kingdom. So step into that. Stop all this other junk and step into what he has for you. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray this morning. God, I pray that every person in this place this morning walks out with confidence. Confidence in who you made them to be. Confident that they are not their past. They're not their past mistakes. They're not their past choices. But they are who you made them to be because your grace and your mercy is shining bright through them, Lord. So give them confidence and to step into what you have for them. To step into being that, 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 that teacher. To step into being that greeter. Step into being that nursery worker. Step into being that, that minister. Whoever you wanted them to be, Lord God. Give them confidence, not let their past dictate their future. Give them confidence to tell their story, even though no one in their family knows. Give them confidence to tell their story, even though everyone around them knows their past. But give them confidence to share who they are now because of you. So Lord, I pray that we leave here, Lord God, not set by some standards the world sets, but by your standard, that we love you, that we love people, and we're going to tell our story. Let us walk in confidence. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen, amen. Lord bless you on this Mother's Day. There's all kinds of treats still out there. If you like prayer, we'd love to pray with you.